0: Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. It's human nature to want to keep up with what's going on around us and with what other people think and do. Occasionally, that helps us know where we may fit in. Well, this curiosity branches into the plastic surgery world, too, particularly with cosmetic or aesthetic procedures. Of course we want to know what's hot. What's everyone else getting or doing? One way to find out is by looking at data. But these days, when we can be bombarded with numbers and statistics coming at us from all directions in our lives, it can seem daunting to take the time to actually analyze them. So wouldn't it be nice if someone else had already done that for us? Well, it's our lucky day that we have Dr. Stephen Williams, the future president of the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, with us, who is able to present findings of a new report on the insights and trends in cosmetic surgery, as tallied by the ASPS. Hot off the presses. Dr. Williams not only has his finger on the pulse of the most frequent procedures, but he also shares with us how the pandemic has affected trends and what future economic changes might mean for the field of plastic surgery. We get his perspective on what's important and what we should take away from this conversation. Let's go to that discussion right now. Well, welcome, Dr. Steve Williams. Thank Thank you you. so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. And you are a board-certified plastic surgeon in private practice in the Bay Area with Tri-Valley Plastic Surgery. So, thank you for taking the time.
1: No, I appreciate uh, being on on the show. That's great.
0: Wonderful. Now, could you tell us a little bit about your background and your path to plastic surgery in the San Francisco region?
1: Sure. So, uh, I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon. Uh, I went to uh, Dartmouth undergrad. I went to Yale Medical School. I stayed at Yale for my plastic surgery training, and that was nice. a six-year combined uh, residency. I left uh, the New England area and came out to California to start a section of plastic surgery for Kaiser Permanente and uh, started a microsurgery section for them in the East Bay and uh, then left Kaiser to start my own practice. And so that's what I've been doing for the last almost 20 years now.
0: That is impressive. Well, thank you. We're glad you are where you are. You're doing some great things. Thank you. Could you tell us uh, a little bit more about your practice? What type of practice do you have?
1: Sure. So, private practice, we're largely cosmetic at this point, but we do still do some reconstructive hand and breast surgery. Uh, started out doing a fair amount of microsurgery and then pivoted to plastic surgery. We have a standalone surgery center where we take care of our patients. And we have, uh, there's myself and my junior partner, Dr. Shreyas McGuana. And we have uh, several PAs and nurses that also provide injectable services and laser services in our med spa. So very kind of well-rounded practice.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think yeah. those are some of the best practices. So congratulations. Thank you again. You know, I've been a member of the American Society for Plastic Surgeons for a long time, and I know its value. But for our listeners, could you explain, please, the purpose of the ASPS? And congratulations, by the way, for being president-elect of the society. That's wow. fantastic.
1: Thank you very much. It's a it's it's a wonderful, wonderful organization, and I, I think as plastic surgeons, we all recognize what the importance of it as an organization is. But you know, one of the secrets is ASPS does so much for patients in terms of education, patient safety, um, advocating for patients nationally, both through the federal government and through state governments, and so. ASPS is just an amazing organization. It's been around for almost 100 years now. Yeah. The ASPS, I know, it's like,
0: yeah.
1: uh, it's, it's really kind of mind blowing when you think about it, but uh, you know, the ASPS is the large organization of board-certified plastic surgeons domestically, having about 94% of every board-certified plastic surgeon being a member. And then internationally as well, two thousands of international members that all have to meet standards of professionalism and training and um, and performance. And so when we think about ASPS as an organization, it's really this touchstone of education, uh, patient safety, advocacy, and, and research. And so it's something that I'm, I'm really, really proud to be a part of. I, I think as plastic surgeons, it's just wonderful to have an organization that supports our patients and our mission so so well. It's a real honor.
0: That's the key, isn't it? The standards that uh, we are held to as plastic surgeons in order to be members of this very important society. So,
1: Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, the standards, um, both in terms of education, in terms of safety, in terms of commitment to our patients and ethics uh, continues to be uh, something that we really see definition between plastic surgeons and sometimes other uh, people who sometimes call themselves cosmetic surgeons. And so it, it's, really a, it's really an important thing.
0: Uh, you know, and most of us physicians keep an eye on statistics and trends, but in 2022, we have a new report, the inaugural Insights and Trends Report for Cosmetic Surgery. Could you explain what that is and its significance?
1: Yeah, it was one of those things that I think every year, um, both plastic surgeons, patients, the media kind of waits for this report uh, with bated breath. And I, I think this year, um, in some ways, that waiting was even more important because there's been a, a really a seismic shift about plastic surgery and kind of who's getting it. But I think the ASPS was very, um, very forethinking and 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 really realigned their entire process about how they're collecting this data. Part of the reason was um, anytime you're using kind of a purely survey-based System. Sometimes that data isn't as accurate as you want it to be, and and because things have changed so much in the last few years, mm-hmm. I think they really wanted to have a, a more thorough uh, system to kind of evaluate uh, the trends. And and so this is the first year that they've used this new methodology, and you know it's really pointed out some important differences between 2021 and and kind of what the previous years have been.
0: That's impressive, uh, and uh, I want to talk about some of the report's key findings. Yeah. Um, Are many more Americans pursuing cosmetic surgery as compared to previous years?
1: Yeah, I I think that was one of the biggest insights that everyone really wanted to see teased out. You know, the survey shows that almost every person in private practice plastic surgery is seeing an uptick in cosmetic plastic surgery. And I, I think in a lot of ways, that wasn't something that people necessarily expected, um, but this report's really shown it. 23% of the practices reporting showed as much as double the amount of patients in plastic surgery procedures being performed.
0: Amazing.
1: I know. It's it's kind of yeah. this mind-boggling number that really yeah. no one no one expected.
0: That's like a quarter yeah. of, of the yeah. practices. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I think the next logical question that follows is, is, well, well why? Um, you know, what's changed. And I think the pandemic has really been this time where patients have said, I have a little bit of time, um, because more and more patients are able to work from home. Mm-hmm. They're looking for things to feel better about, because I think for most of us, the pandemic hasn't been, you know, a, a particularly bright moment in our history. Yeah, and right. so, so true. Um, yeah. And so it's really been an, an opportunity, for, I think, for a lot of people to be able to work on themselves. Um, mm-hmm. There's been additional resources, financial resources available because people are traveling a little bit less um, because there have been restrictions on travel. Mm-hmm. and
0: Going out to dinner less.
1: Going out to dinner <laughs> Saving less. Saving that money. <laughs> That's right. And people's employment and work Situations have really allowed for kind of more recovery time, and so it's been right. one of those those interesting moments in history where people have really seen it as an opportunity to do things that they've been thinking about for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. So, I guess in an odd way, COVID seems to have facilitated cosmetic surgery. Um, it, I mean, that's what I'm hearing. Basically, it's a little strange, but you know, that does seem to be how it's turned out.
1: Well, and I think there was a balance. Just in, in all fairness, I. Initially, when the epidemic broke out, we were all concerned about safety. Um, Hospitals were clearly overwhelmed. Um, There was a shortage of um, personal protective equipment. And so I really think that plastic surgeons leaned into that. Um, There were countless stories of plastic surgeons volunteering in ICUs, donating equipment. Our practice, for example, donated and made available ventilators and things like that. But as things, Yeah. and well, and that's kind of, I think what, as yourself as a plastic surgeon, I I, I think that's kind of what we do as physicians. We're, we're called to try to um, support and help where we can.
0: Yeah.
1: But as things stabilized and as, you know, the government began to have additional resources, um, as hospitals clearly were able to meet those needs, it kind of came back to our patients saying, well, well, what about us now? Things are better in the general public. Here are the things that we want to think about and it really has been a a time that people have invested in themselves
0: Mm -hmm. that's great perspective well you know from the report were you able to glean are patients willing to spend more money on themselves on cosmetic procedures uh as compared to before the pandemic
1: again it's been a little bit of a kind of a, a an interesting time i think that inflation and the cost of labor has has driven some of those costs up um, patients seem to be tolerant of some of those price increases uh, mm-hmm. and I think our understanding that high-quality plastic surgery, making sure that um, they're getting the services in a safe and effective way, um, has been a little bit more expensive. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the trends from the report, it's something that's, that's reflected in those trends that people are spending more.
0: We talked about all those reasons people are motivated to have cosmetic procedures now. Uh Sometimes if you really decided on that and the cost is a little higher than it was, you still are probably going to go for it if you've made that decision.
1: Yeah, and for a lot of these patients, these are things that weren't spur of the moment. They're things they've been thinking about for a really long time and they just found that time in their life that makes more sense to do it. There are small things that you kind of read about or hear um, on social media about, you know, the Zoom factor, the fact that we all have cameras in our face.
0: Kind of constantly (laughs) now,
1: inspiring a little bit of it. But I think for the vast majority of patients, it's really that they've found a time that works for them, both from family and and a work standpoint.
0: Yeah. Well, let's get into a little bit of the nitty-gritty of of some of the breakdown of the trends of the actual procedures. You know, we've got surgical versus non-surgical. Yeah. Uh, non-surgical always seems to top out everything. Um, but in terms of the surgical procedures, what were the findings of the most uh, commonly performed cosmetic procedures?
1: You know, body procedures tend to still be, you know, relatively prevalent with liposuction being being number one. And, you know, liposuction is one of those things that it makes sense that in a lot of ways it's still one of the more popular types of procedures and the reason mm-hmm. why is because it tends to be paired with a lot of other operations so tummy tucks breast lifts um even facelifts um which is the number two um, top surgical procedure ah. found by the survey liposuction is one of those things it's kind of it's a nice add-on because it kind of enhances the other things you're doing
0: mm-hmm. um
1: the second m- most common procedure was facelift followed by breast augmentation which has always been in the top three for the last oh, yes. thir- 30 years and then uh, tummy tucks and and mass defects, these breast lifts.
0: Yeah, those are common procedures anyway. But it's interesting to see how they're ordered. You know what takes the yeah. the highest uh, precedence, and your explanation of why liposuction is up there really makes sense.
1: Well, and part of it too is with the pandemic, some of us have been a little less active in the gym. Oh, yes, <laughs> and so uh,
0: it's guilty. become
1: just yeah, uh, me too, me too, and and so it's become you know one of those common common areas that people um, just want to just want to feel better about themselves.
0: Yeah. How about men versus women? Similar percentages as before?
1: You know, the trends um, are generally the same. There's been a small uptick in men seeking plastic surgery. And I think a lot of it is just a comfort level with accepting that it's okay to seek self-improvement. It's okay to kind of have these procedures done. Um, There's still a little bit of a skewing, you know, from surgical procedures, men tend to seek liposuction more than other procedures. Uh, from uh, non-invasive, uh, generally Botox, less fillers mm-hmm. and laser and those types of things. So yeah. there's still a little bit of a skewing about which procedures men tend to look for, but mm-hmm. it it continues to become more and more accepted in you know between that gender divide that's always sure. been there.
0: And I do want to talk about age breakdown, but before we do that, let's talk about some of the non-surgical procedures. What seem to be the top things? You alluded to Botox as maybe the most commonly performed non-surgical procedure.
1: Yeah. So, and, and Botox is, is one particular brand. Botox, Dysport, the uh, neuromodulators where we're using those medications to kind of get rid of those dynamic yes. wrinkles that we're all kind of bothered by that, again, that the pandemic has kind of really, really <laughs> <Right>. triggered.
0: <laughs> Facial frown. Um,
1: that's right. And, and so that really still continues to be the, the most sought after, minimally invasive procedure, followed by soft tissue fillers. And so, Think about products like Juvederm mm-hmm. or Restylane or, or those types of products for kind of the more static mm-hmm. wrinkles that people mm-hmm. have in their face. Um, uh, also for lip enhancement, those types of things. And then we kind of have the, the typical follow-ups. Um, so non-invasive fat reduction, M-Sculpt, cool sculpting, those types of things, non-surgical skin tightening, and then skincare treatments mm-hmm. and laser.
0: What do we see most commonly in, say, people under 30? Are they getting some things done?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so that under 30 group really lip augmentation tends to still be really, really popular. In some ways it makes sense because generally if you're 25 or 26, Mm -hmm. while there has been a trend for that preventative type of Botox treatment, it tends still not to be as much of an issue because most 26, 27 year olds don't have those deep 11s that Um, people my age have and so really they're looking for more enhancement and then maybe a little bit of preventative where people who are obviously seeking tummy tucks or breast lifts, those tend to be people who have had children who say, you know, I have started my family, I'm done having kids and and now is a better time to pursue those types of operations.
0: And then what about going even beyond that people over say 45 and on up? What are they having done most commonly?
1: Yeah, and again, those trends have been very consistent with what ASPS has found previously, meaning that facelifts, blepharoplasties, eyelid surgery, it all kind of makes sense. We're not doing tons of eyelid surgery in 22 year olds. Um, We're not doing tons of facelifts in 22 year olds. Um, But as we kind of get through that process, it's almost a natural progression for people who look to plastic surgery as a way to stay, in their eyes, more youthful. Generally, the body procedures are kind of that mid after kids type of approach and then the facial, the facelifts, eye lifts are are things that people think about as we get older and the kids have maybe moved out and we're kind of in the second stage of our careers or second stage of our lives.
0: That makes sense. And I'm curious, as we look at these statistics that the ASPS has provided, do those kind of fall in line with what you're seeing in your own practice? Is that pretty similar? Have you noticed a few different trends out in the Bay Area?
1: Yeah, so I I think the San Francisco Bay Area tends to follow most of the trends for most Mm -hmm. large cities. Um, In our practice, we also do a lot of um, autologous fat grafting. So Ah, fat grafting, yeah, and fat grafting to the hands, to the face, to the hips and buttocks are are things that are are big parts of our practice. And I think because we've been doing it for so long safely, I I think that um, it's something that we're known for. Mm -hmm. But generally, the trends of being busier Definitely the trends of patients saying, This is my time. You know, I need. Yes. I really need you to accommodate me. I need you to <laughs> yeah. maybe not take that weekend off you're going to take off and, and come do a little extra surgery. Yeah. Um, we're definitely seeing that trend at our practice.
0: Well, and I know your patients are very glad you're complying.
1: Well, and we're glad that, you know, we're sought after too. Yeah,
0: it's got to be a good feeling. Absolutely. You're doing something right. Now, more people seem to be seeking out multiple procedures at one setting or combination procedures, you know, like uh, mommy makeovers, which combines typically breast surgery with tummy surgery. Um, What do you think of the pros and cons of combination surgery?
1: Yeah, so that's that's a fantastic question. You know, when our patients are coming to us asking about those things, our general goal is to combine surgeries in a way that is effective to meet the patient expectations Mm -hmm. within what's safe. Some operations don't go well together. Some operations, if you combine enough of them, become unsafe either from a physiologic standpoint, so think too much liposuction at one particular time, or just from a timing standpoint, these things take a certain amount of time to do safely. And when we're beyond six, seven, eight hours of OR time, we generally start thinking about breaking those operations up. But when possible, we really do try to combine procedures for a a bunch of different reasons. Number one, for the patients, if we can do it safely, it makes more sense for them to have one anesthetic, one recovery time, one set of kind of OR experience, time away from work, time away from family. As long as it can be done safely, then that tends to be very advantageous for patients in terms of their planning. It also tends to be more affordable because that first hour of anesthesia, that first hour of operating room time is more expensive than the subsequent amounts of time. And so safety is the first thing, but if we can do those things safely, then we do. You've kind of nailed it. Mommy makeovers are kind of the classic combination mm-hmm. operation where we're doing maybe a breast augmentation, mastopexy, some liposuction, and a tummy tuck. Those are things that we do together very frequently.
0: And I know you can't predict the future, but
1: I, I wish. Yes. How,
0: how do you anticipate inflation and any economic changes that might be coming down the pike having an effect on some of the frequency of these procedures? What are your thoughts about that?
1: yeah and so i think that's something that plastic surgeons um, obviously talk about a fair amount and Mm -hmm. part of it is we want to make sure that we're able to prepare our practices and our staff to what the patient needs are going to be so we can serve our patient populations in the most effective way possible for most situations now this doesn't include our breast reconstruction this doesn't include our hand surgery but for cosmetic procedures the economy is a big part of what our patients think about because this is; These are generally discretionary types of things mm. that they're looking to pursue. And I do think that there has been a little bit of a decrease in the last three to six months in terms of number of patients we're seeing mm. and, and also the types of procedures people are pursuing. Maybe nine months ago, people would maybe get that one extra area of liposuction, whereas now right. people are saying, you know what, let me just get this done, and yeah. then I understand that you know I'll have to look at that in the future because financially it doesn't make sense for me right now and
0: that's interesting
1: yeah and and at our practice we really really try to make sure that that's part of the conversation we mm-hmm. don't want people doing things that they can't afford or that that don't make financial sense for them
0: yeah that's great well and as the future president of the ASPS where do you think the practice of plastic surgery is headed? Are we right on the verge of anything that's uh, even more cutting edge? Or uh, on the other hand, are we missing something that still needs to be developed or improved? What are your thoughts?
1: I mean, I I think, you know, as a plastic surgeon, part of the reason that we go into plastic surgery is because plastic surgery historically has been one of the most innovative branches of medicine around. We're kind of the people who invent solutions
0: yeah love that
1: yeah absolutely and and so that innovation is really a core part of being a plastic surgeon i think that technology continues to scale and i always say the technology is one of those things that uh, solves big problems uh, whereas sometimes non-tech based solutions struggle a little bit more and so patient education, physician education, those things are definitely getting better and better with uh, technology. ASPS has some amazing um, initiatives coming up in both of those those fields. techniques in the operating room, uh, ultrasound is becoming more and more of a strong tool that we can use intraoperatively, especially for fat grafting intraoperatively to enhance patient safety. Mm -hmm. I think being able to have virtual visits with patients, the pandemic really triggered that being something that people are like, well, no, actually you can do a pretty good job maybe as a initial contact point, you still need to have patients come in and and do physical assessments, but maybe as that initial discussion to explain to patients what some of the options are, that has been really, really fantastic. And even some of the post-op care, I I think we're increasingly realizing can be done in a a compliant way that doesn't jeopardize patient safety or care and patients love the convenience so if they don't
0: have to rush out back to your office yeah that's great yeah Yeah.
1: and so those are really groundswell changes that i think are coming to all branches of medicine and, and plastic surgery tends to lead those things
0: yeah that's fantastic well you know we've had a lovely conversation here but i'm just curious any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners about plastic surgery in general I
1: think the biggest thing for your listeners is when they're thinking about plastic surgery, when they're thinking about any procedure, it's important to, and you'll kind of hear plastic surgeons say this over and over and over again, but define a board certified plastic surgeon. And the reason that you hear that so frequently from us is because the standards and the training that board certified plastic surgeons have is second to none Mm -hmm. and in all of our careers we've had patients come to our office that have gone to cosmetic surgeons maybe you know it's someone who i was going to be a plastic surgeon but i I went another route or you know you there's just more money in it than what i do and so i'm going to do that those are kind of bad motivations to go (laughs) into a specialty that has that requires so much training and can be really really complicated and so Mm -hmm. i really encourage your listeners and, and patients in general Find a board-certified plastics version. Make sure that they take the time to listen to you and interact with you and, and explain your risks and your benefits, alternatives to the things you're talking about and what your expectations should be. It should really be you know, a conversation that you're having with someone who's really well-trained and has a lot of experience in the field and in what you're interested in. So Absolutely. that's that's my biggest piece of advice. And I, I say that over and over again. I sound like a broken record, but yeah. it, it's super
0: important. It's, it's a great thing to say, and, and people need to hear it. So thank you for sharing it. Well, this has yeah. been such an insightful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Good luck in your future as the president of the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. I know you're gonna be fantastic already. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing what comes next.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I I think that the work you do is wonderful. Letting people see a little bit of insight about plastic surgery is such a valuable, valuable thing to talk about. And so again, it was an honor. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Take care. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.